Is this on Twitter? Yeah. Frick, dude. Maybe I should get back on. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's the reason why I kept it. No, no. Um, that's all right. I can re- I can rebuild my brand in less than six months and have more followers than you again. <laughs> this temple I will destroy and rebuild in three days. <laughs> I will destroy this account and I will rebuild it in three days. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to be like Christ in all things. And the thing that Jesus was the best at, as we all know, is good branding. The resurrection really turned turned that whole thing around. It really turned all that around. <laughs> Welcome to The Crunch, the only podcast that gets your tires realigned every 25,000 miles. It's your boy, Ethan. I'm Patrick. That's that doesn't seem like a that doesn't seem like enough miles. Twenty six thousand miles. No, 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 no. Wrong direction. Twenty. How many do you miles. think it should be? Twenty. <laughs> every twenty miles, I stop halfway through my commute to work. I have to stop Speaking, and realign my tires. I have I have car repair on the brain mm-hmm. because I went to um, I was gonna go to Stillwater, Oklahoma, for the. University of Tulsa versus Oklahoma State University football game. And I was going to watch it with my friends and eat bratwursts and also chips. And it was going to be fun. But the morning of, I see the little indicator on my dashboard that says low tire. And I said, ah, I probably have a nail or something. So I went to the Midas and I said, hey, I think I got a nail in this tire. They said, great. I'm there for 15 minutes. 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I hear the guy out in the in the the construction bay. What do they call that? The, uh, the, the, I don't know. The garage. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he goes up to his boss and I hear him through the window. He goes, yeah, I'm going to have to call Honda. And I was like, what are you going to have to call Honda for? What's My tire has been off for 45 minutes. You haven't patched anything. What's the deal? The guy comes back in. He's nervous. He's shaking. He thinks I'm going to be mad at him. He's like, hey, um, so there was no nail. But um, the tire pressure monitoring system uh, was on your tire. And when I tried to take the little cap off of the stem, I snapped it in half. <laughs> that happened to me. Did it really? Yes. The exact same thing happened to me. But then Firestone said, oh, this must uh, this fell off. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- this was broken when we opened it. Uh-huh. And I was like, it definitely wasn't. I called, I called the only other person who could have possibly broken my tire pressure indicator, which was um, the 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 shop that fixed my tires last and they right. were like yeah was your tire pressure light on and i was, and i was like no and he was like yeah they they broke it yeah, they and they're broke. trying to they, yeah. so did they charge you like 150 dollars no they didn't all all i had to do was buy a new part and they installed it for free so oh, okay which was cool but it, it just took two hours to get it to the midas store it's really hard for me to say midas normally because i've said it every time i tell <laughs> the story in person and not on a family-friendly podcast i say it wrong and on purpose on, yeah uh, because the guy snapped it off and then it, but it's all okay now because it was all fixed and i got to read a new science fiction novel in this in the in the waiting room and drink coffee out of a styrofoam cup <laughs> so that's how my week's been how are you that <laughs> your entire week was spent in the midas store what a what a world that would be what some people have place. to live that way <laughs> um i i didn't do much this week uh, well, that's not true. I do, I'm in, well, yes, besides my job, I didn't want to be like, oh, this week I 
I ca- well, uh, this, I came into the week, office. This week, my my uh, my core team started doing presentations at youth group instead of me. So my youth group, my uh, my core team is now doing youth minister day to day things, mm. kind of like training them how to be youth ministers, so that like you know we can all take turns leading a day, so it sure. gives me more time to focus on like big picture. You know, where's the youth ministry going in the future? Delegation. That sort of thing. Yeah, the it's, most it's important great. thing for anyone in ministry to learn. Oh yeah. Yeah, why did why were you why were you late to starting the podcast again? You had to delegate. Uh, <laughs> I delegated m- parts of my refuse into my toilet. Is that <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what I was referring to? It's the best delegation uh, I can. Manage. But also, my core team are very. My core team is full of very holy, faithful people. Mm. Um, the we were doing a series on sacraments this semester, right? And um, the. Uh, the core team member who ran the, uh, he talked about baptism. He was talking about uh, signs, the uh, sacraments as like a, an efficacious sign. Mm. So like a sign that does what it signifies. Yes. And the way he, and we all, we're all theologians. We all know what that means, right? But he was trying to explain it to teenagers, right. which is not easy. Did he and use so what the he did word was, efficacious? No. Okay. That's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> and then everyone would be like, huh? huh? Uh, so he showed a stop sign on the PowerPoint and was like, this sign signifies what? And they said, stop. stop. And then he showed a picture of a brick wall with a stop sign painted on. And he's like, this sign says stop. And if you don't, it's going to make you. <laughs> oh, he's like, that's what a sacrament is. <laughs> if you're traveling towards this wall, you're going to stop. If you're going to get baptized, you're going to be baptized. Yeah. And I was like, that's such a good analogy. It's pretty cool. You know, entering into the church's sacramental life is a lot like driving into a brick wall of, <laughs> of grace. <laughs> of grace where does the metaphor break down that's right great, at about right at the brick wall that's where the metaphor stops yes but other than that man we've just been big chilling i'm enjoying the weather it's a bit cooler these days i get to wear my flannels in the mornings mm-hmm. and then Your take flannels. i take them off in the afternoons because i begin to sweat through them <laughs> uh but yeah that's i mean it's 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 a grind it's in that time where we're like five weeks into the semester and there's a lot of semester left, but there's like not enough behind us or there's too much behind us to be like, Oh, it's the beginning of the semester. Like we're firmly in what some might call the middle of the semester. Some, some, some do call it that. Um, I'm taking, I'm taking some grad school classes and, and it's been kind of a rough start for my on, on campus class because the professor was having some medical issues. So he actually wasn't there for the first three weeks. Mm. It's a once a week night class. Um, and we missed three. So it, <laughs> and we, we finally started up the class, um, instead of a moral theologian, a moral philosopher is teaching it. And so we're reading, I, first of all, I read all the readings for the class before the class started. Uh, all right. Nerd. And of course a new, a new professor came in and changed all the readings. No. So I know, I know <laughs> you hate to see it, but you also, you know, love to see it. We're reading, we're reading a lot more moral philosophy now. And that's interesting. I'm not exactly a philosophy boy. Yeah. I uh, I also started some graduate classes. Oh, yeah. Not really graduate. Yeah. It's like, I guess it, it's post. Yeah. It's, it's I don't post, know what you would yeah. call it. It's, I'm, doing it's a cer- education. I'm doing a certificate that I don't have to do. It's for, a certification. Uh, for fun. But it's not, this is not like intro level stuff. I mean, it is. I don't know. But he, the, the, the one thing, I've, I've only watched a couple of the classes I think I'm going to be the delinquent person in my cohort because 
I'm seeing everybody else post on the page the responses to the assignment for the yeah. week, and I'm like, I've watched two of the lecture videos, and out of seven, help. <laughs> but I've I've learned that we need to create a renewed pedagogy of the basics. Yeah. And that's all what I'm all about, baby. Catechesis.com forward slash Ethan. My new <laughs> my new website. My new website, catechesis.com slash Ethan. You think anybody Catholic uh, Answers got Catholic.com. Um, we have the crunchcast.com. What would be Yeah, that that hotly contested website domain. <laughs> um the catechesis.com or catechetics.com at least is owned by Franciscan. You're kidding. So no. It's like how I'm pretty sure the NFL like trademarked football or something like football. that. Football.com. Football.com. There's probably some. Uh, yeah. I, I, would, I think football.com goes to the NFL's website. Try it. Which is funny because football in other languages means soccer. Football.co.uk. <laughs> Back in the day, if you just went to some random.com website, you were at risk for some pretty sketchy stuff. Yes. These days, the- all the big corporations have, have gobbled them all up. It's true. I football no football.com just goes to a website called football.com. Um but there there was a uh I I remember this when I was a kid. So, um Club Penguin was obviously the happen most happening place on on the planet. It was. But Penguin was a hard name to a hard word to spell. And so I misspelled Club Penguin and got a, a pretty interesting website. No, no. And I was like that's not good. Unsubscribe. Um <laughs> un un exit. And uh, I that obviously stopped happening. There's a, it's actually illegal now to um, to make a pornography website or any kind of website, but especially a pornography website that um, that misrepresents what it is. Apparently, a politician uh, his kid happened to his kids and on the national level, and he pushed that through and made it law. And that politician's name was Mike Pence. Wow, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah, holy cow! Right now he's the now he's the vice president of. The United States of America. And that man... Little old, little old Mike. It was Jan Taranowski. That man was Yam Turnsky. <laughs> <laughs> He's the man who's made of yam. That's, you really like that one TikTok, huh? I really like that. <laughs> my favorite TikTok is the Ratatouille TikTok. That's my favorite one. <laughs> the one where the guy looks like Anton Ego? No. Or the one where it switches to him throwing it. <laughs> Yeah, that there one. is a good TikTok like of the guy's dad who looks like ex- exactly like Anton Ego, and he dresses really? him up in a scarf and a dark turtleneck and puts eyeshadow under him. It's kind of crazy how a real life man looks like an animated dude. <laughs> well, I mean, or or does the animated dude look like the real man? You never know. These things are always hard to say. Yeah, I'm Turnsky. Yeah, yeah, I'm Turnsky. Well, hey, do you want to do a podcast today or what's up? You know what? I'm in the mood for a little podcast. I was thinking that maybe we could record something. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking for a long time. I've always been saying, I even, I even tweeted once pod <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I just tweeted the word. You know what? We've all, we've all done it. We've all gone on to twitter.com and just tweeted the word podcast. podcast. I was, t- I was explaining to some people in real life today. What, uh, who bruv was. <laughs> in fact, I just tweeted the word podcast. Did <laughs> you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> this is that's the kind of stuff that I miss about having a Twitter account is just being able to just do the absolute garbage stuff, like just tweet podcasts. I'm thinking about getting into some surreal tweeting. I'm thinking know? about this is this is not anything I would do anytime soon. This would probably have to be after I'm a team director because I don't I would get too into it and it would distract from the mission. But after I'm a team director, 
and I have a boring office job. <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to have a boring office job. You never know. Get, get me a job. <laughs> get me a cool job. <laughs> get me an office, and I'll make it boring somehow. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody out there in the greater Oklahoma area has a cool, cool office job that I can turn boring, let me know. <laughs> uh, I want to I wanna get into that. that no, I don't want to follow anybody. I will follow mm-hmm. exactly one person. It's you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to tweet. <laughs> I just want to tweet all the time and turn off all the replies and turn off all yeah. the, the stuff. Uh-huh. Is it possible to game the system that way? And just girls just want to have fun. You know, like, can yeah, I, do you I, think I could do it? And also, do you think I should do it? Especially after our podcast last week, which is all about how social media <laughs> is girls crap. just want to have fun. And boys just want to have flan. That's what <laughs> we just want. Mexican desserts, gelatinous cakes. That's all we want. <laughs> That's my next tweet. Yeah. Boys just want to have flan. Boys, boys just want to have gelatinous cakes. Some of us already do. <laughs> built in. Built in. It's me. It's my belly. All right. <laughs> this is great. Brandon McGinley, if you're listening, I did this all for you. I'm the this one is that, how we're introducing your book. I'm the one that uh, introduced your book. We're skipping the hot take time machine today. Because we just got to get into a hot take book machine. Because we're getting into the hot take book machine. And uh, this is a book that I actually heard about on Clerically Speaking. So we have to give props to them, unfortunately. We have to, even though they never give props even to Even though, us. can I can I say something that's like constructive? Uh, Criticism-wise? Yeah. Or like a conversation. Sure. Did you listen to their Bishop Barron interview? Yeah. I I was sad. Why? I thought it would get, it was going to be different. So I, I, I think. First of all, I don't. <laughs> Patrick is disagree. trying so hard to to not upset anybody. I don't want to get fired. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I I thought it was a good interview. First of all, Father Anthony and Father Harrison are great interviewers. I they, told them this yesterday, yes. the other day. They were very professional. They're very good. Um, the videos on the Word on Fire YouTube page, you can't see their faces, which I find to be very odd. That is weird. Bishop Barron has his talking points. He does. And that's that. I think that's part of it. I just, I was like, it wasn't anybody's fault necessarily, but it felt like they had, like, they just had the questions and then their part of the audio was like cut. And then you cut to Bishop Barron just like talking by himself in a room. And like, there was no real interplay between the two and that's difficult because you're over the internet you know like it's hard to have like a dialogue where you're going back and forth but i was just like man he didn't ever really say their names you know like Mm, it wasn't it just wasn't really personal and like that might just be the vibe that they were going for and i don't know what the word on fire business strategy is but like okay i think it's more of a critique of bishop baron than it is of them i don't think they did anything wrong Okay, cool. I wasn't trying to say that they did. They did I say anything that made them wrong? No, I just don't. I just want all of our friends to be happy, and I don't want to contribute to them not being happy. This is this is the fundamental difference between you and I, <laughs> is that you are you love you, you're the people pleaser, and I'm the the bridge burner, and we have to <laughs> we have to unite. We, we are yin and yang. We want what we, we do. What we want people day. is to love us while we burn the bridge that they're standing on. You know. <laughs> That's the goal. I I do I do think that um, <clears throat> Bishop Barron is a bishop, and this is a problem that I've, that that bishops just have is mm-hmm. that they really can't be personal. 
Um, yeah. I don't know if that's just me being cynical. Well, but like, I listened recently to the the priest at K-State do a podcast called the Kansas Catholic yeah. Podcast, and they just had the Bishop of Salina on, and he was extremely personal. Hmm. It's different because he knows them. He's like their bishop, right? Yeah. So there is, you have to recognize that difference, but I do think it's possible. I just don't. It's hard to build rapport over video chat. It just is. And so that's probably part of it. Also, yeah. I, I saw the, I saw like the little, um, I think word on fire was being a little too transactional with the way they were approaching somebody else's podcast. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. This, yes. This is what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right. This is the way that word on fire approached clerically speaking is like, they did not want to do clerically speaking on clerically speaking's terms. Right. Yeah. They wanted to take clerically speaking's audience and make content and with make it. word on fire content, which I thought was wrong. Like I thought yeah, that that's was not, not, that's not, good. it was yeah. not a good clerically speaking podcast. That's kind of mm, what I was mm. feeling, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's okay to say, right? Like, yeah. Cause this is what, this is, so Matt Frad and I were talking about this. Okay. Because right, we respect we him. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking about this, like this podcast. And he was talking about when podcasts have guests on, it's different and it's weird. And he was like, you should just, when were you talking like, to Matt Frad? He came to Franciscan. And, oh, um, that's right. And you saw him. Yeah. Oh, cool. And he was like, you, I just kind of want to smoke a cigar. You want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, he's like, I don't have what, and he's like, I don't have one for you, though. And I was like, wait, hold on. You got to smoke a cigar with Matt Fred? No, no, no. You missed the part where I said he didn't have one for me. <laughs> so you didn't go? No, I did, obviously. Oh. Did, you, did you tell him about He bought podcast? me a bagel. We did. Yeah, we talked podcast. What did he say? We talked Cal, we why, talked Cal why did Newport. you tell me about Why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? I don't think he listens. I didn't ask him if he listened to my podcast. I don't podcast. care if he listens, but. He listens to that other podcast. And, um. We were talking about we were talking about how like when when other podcasts have guests on you're like I kind of don't want to listen to this one because the the dynamic is messed up. So like I, I I think that we can all as as Catholic podcasters. Does Matt Fred want to come on our show? <laughs> I'm, I'm just I was just doing the joke. Um, I think we can all like how can how can we keep the vibe when another person comes on? I think you just have to be completely transparent with them and be like you're coming on and we're gonna do bits and goofs and gags. And we're just talking, and I don't want you to plug your stuff, which <laughs> I, I might might turn a lot of people away. But it's like, all right, yeah. I hmm, there. I have a lot of thoughts, but they're all they're all they're all pertinent to this book. There's lots oh, of things. All to talk of about. these thoughts that you're talking about, clearly speaking, are pertinent to this book. A lot of them are. Okay. All right. Well, this, then we can this, keep it in. This was kind of a lead-in. Oh, do you want to start over? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> this has been good this is a pure this is pure podcasting confusion which is what we love yeah hey thank you for listening to this episode of the crunch sorry to interrupt what i'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation but i wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors we will be back right after this everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. I was talking about, I heard about this book on Clerically Speaking. Okay. When they talked about this book on clerically speaking, I thought it was good 
I read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more in here that they didn't talk about that I want to talk about on our show. Okay, cool. Alongside with that, they had an interview with Bishop Barron, which coincidentally, I don't think intentionally, played into a lot of the things that he Brandon McGinley talks about in this book. Ah, about okay. about the bishops and about kind of the uh, the acquiescence of Catholicism to American culture. So, anyway. I'm so excited to talk about it. I love this book. I think you should read it, first of all. So if you could just stop the podcast, go and read the book, and then come back. Patrick, I, when you texted great. me the title of the book, I knew that I should go find it. Yeah. But I don't know where to find it on such short notice. The Yeah, I got it on Thrift Books for $13. So Nice. Or probably, Brandon McGinley, if you're listening, I'm sorry I didn't buy it from Sophia Press. But anyway... Authors famously don't get a lot of money when you buy the book from the publisher. So, oh, good. Well, in that case, take that. Uh, this book is is good. It it takes the a, a pretty honest and even keeled view. Like it does not lean too far traditional. Like it's not the Benedict option. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> I know. And it doesn't lean anywhere that is unrealistic. Right. He just starts by talking about how the American church got to where it is. Yeah. Talked about how to renew the church, the parish, the family, and friendships and community. And like those are kind of the things that he wants, he thinks that we should renew moving forward. Mm-hmm. But what I find to be the most interesting is looking at how we got here today. He talks a lot about bourgeois Catholicism. Oh, I'm so excited. Wait, I think I know exactly what he's talking about. Yes. This idea that um, Catholicism as essentially a wasp religion. So WASP is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, right? We get blamed for so much stuff yes. that is not our fault. Patriarchal, like sexism, all of that stuff, yeah. that wasn't us. We didn't do that, but right. because we're considered a traditional religion, mm-hmm. we get lumped in with the, oh, big the WASPy boys. Big lumps. We always lump. He has, he has got these lines in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a lot of quotes from this book because I just think that they're really good. And this is the most preparation I've done for a podcast in This is not a podcast. Years. This is an audio book. This, we're reading. Yeah, we're going to read this book. He says, this is Catholicism as wasp religion, going through the motions, or more importantly, being seen going through the motions, but lacking the real substance of religion as a virtue that permeates life. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how back in the day, in the 60s, boys would ask girls to go to uh, the Christmas mass. And they would like buy, buy corsages and all these things for each other. And, and when you look back, you're like, oh, that's kind of cute. That's kind of nice. But his point is that in the 50s and 60s, up until kind of the the sexual revolution, right? And mm-hmm. the, the idea of freedom and peace and, and liberation from all that stuff kind of took hold in the Vietnam War and all these things. Um, the church was kind of – there should be a natural social benefit to the church, right? Like that mm-hmm. will just yeah. come about. But when the when the church becomes completely a social functionary, that's yes. when you start losing out on these things. So you've got all these people who are like a part of the greatest generation, right? And you've got Bing Crosby winning Oscars because he's in movies portraying priests. And you've got Archbishop Sheen on, on television winning mm-hmm. Emmys. And you've got – john f kennedy in the white house and then you've got all these catholics who are like wow we're living it we're doing it i'm gonna go to mass on sunday i'm gonna come home and i'm gonna buy the newest chevrolet and i'm gonna have a a fully stocked bar cart and i'm gonna live the same way as everybody i'm gonna keep up with the joneses right 
But mm-hmm. I also have this like cultural assurance behind me that like cultural Catholicism, cultural yeah. Catholicism is, and, but it's not like cultural Catholicism as we talk about it now, where it's like, which oh, is like cafeteria Catholic. Yes. Yeah. But it's like a genuine, like the, the gospel of Catholicism was enculturated, but not actually practices a real yeah. virtue. And this is something that I was, that I inferred. I didn't read about it in this book, but it's something sure. that kind of, it, it makes was, sense uh, if you think about it. Like it's nothing yeah, crazy. It's. Uh, that that book that I was reading about uh, about race the history of racism in America yeah talks about uh, yes it's true Irish people were discriminated against and so were Italians why because of their Catholicism yeah but assimilationism is a very American view that's why we have the melting pot right everybody just kind of melts into one amorphous blob of culture right one world religion white Catholics one world government. <laughs> White Catholics were able to assimilate better. Yes. Because they looked like everybody else yes. and they had the same general religion. They had this Christian religion. And so they were able to look and feel and act like wasps. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, they lost their culture. Right. Which is Which terrifying. is why Pittsburgh is so weird to people. Yes. Because there's a Polish hill. You know, there's like a bunch uh-huh. of Polish people living in one area. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like in Newcastle, it's so strange to me because it's like most people here are Italian. Mm-hmm. Or or I, they, they have a strong like ethnic... Uh, hold on, 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 mm-hmm. and then it's it's awesome, it's awesome, right? Uh, but yes, this is this is interesting. I like this. Keep going. So he goes on and talks about exactly what you're talking about about how Catholics are kind of among the wasps, right? Like we're yeah. we're there, we're in it, and there's this assimilation that's happening and happening, happening. And he makes this point with JFK. This first line of this this section, I just was like a big grin on my face. He said. I really think John Fitzgerald Kennedy was one of the worst things ever to happen to the church in America. Wow. And upon, like, if you talk, if you say that to our grandparents, right, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. JFK was a hero. He was a martyr. He was Catholic. All of these things. Um, like, and he slept with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> he spat absolute game. Yeah. So <laughs> he's the American dream boy. He's the American dream. And, that's this is all irony, of course. The the <laughs> the presidency of JFK is the epitome of bourgeois Catholicism assimilating mm-hmm. into WASP culture, and that kind of idea for our grandparents and, and their parents in those generations, right? It's it's really hard to um, get rid of like this this idea of my faith is is this sedated. Yeah. Um, punctual courteous stable but most of all it's like practical right like this is a practical thing that i have and that i can do like i'm not gonna offend anybody i'm doing all the right things everybody respects me because i i have the same faith as the president right so i mean if you don't respect me then you don't respect the president which means you don't respect america which means you're not a good citizen you know like there's it's it's very safe it's very Mm -hmm. whitewashed and it's it's very comfortable, right? It's yeah. it's like just living in not even a jacuzzi, but just like a, a 90 degree pool where it's just kind of like it's warm, it's warm <laughs> and you're in there and it's it's fine. And like there's not any reason to like get out. There's not any reason to turn up the heat because it's just fine. You can have everything that you want. And that's was the reality for a lot of the 50s and a lot of the 60s. And he goes on talking about this. this so that's the the mentality that we inherited when we were raised in the church is that the faith is this most of all practical and private thing. Yes. Yeah. It's, it belongs to you. And as long as you can do it without interfering with your, your work duties and your duties as an American, 
then you'll yeah. be okay and you you'll fit in and you can be really rich and you can be really successful and you can have all the things that everybody else has and it'll be fine that's the idea that we inherited when we grew up in the catholic church in america which is now that i know that i'm like a lot of things make so much sense because of that i yeah. don't think about jfk and like his impact no. on no. my youth group but like that is all <laughs> a part of the thing you know when i was in high school growing up and in college like coming into my own as a part of the church it's kind of weird that he's buried underneath st matthew's cathedral isn't that weird i didn't know that that is odd i okay i he might not never mind he's not uh i'm remembering there's a he laid in state in st matthew's cathedral that's what it was oh really he's buried i think all presidents are buried in the same place in arlington yes but he there's a little plaque on mm-hmm. saint at saint matthew's cathedral that said jfk was here it's pretty much that <laughs> i'm like that's kind of weird like it's a little it's separation of church and state unless right. we want to memorialize a president who's not a saint mm-hmm. in a cathedral, which is strange. That is really weird. Yeah. Give me another King Louis. Um, so he draws which this. Which one? I know. <laughs> it's very important. The good one. We want another King Henry. Not no, that one. Not that one. <laughs> not that one, one either. <laughs> he draws this distinction. So he, he identifies uh, the bourgeois spirituality and then kind of contrasts it with the Baroque spirituality of Europe. So the bourgeois spirituality is this like sedated, punctual, courteous, respectable, um, responsible, practical faith. And he contrasts it with this Baroque Europe, European attitude, which is like, Uh, yes, the Baroque spirituality. I know it well. Um, I'm, I'm, no one can see this, but I have my my coffee mug out and my pinky. No one, you don't like the joke. I don't like the joke. I'm trying to read from this book and also pay attention to you at the same time. It's very difficult. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Am I distracting A little bit. From your reading in the middle of our podcast. I'm trying to shoot a show. (laughs) He talks about how this Baroque spirit is ecstatic, unrestrained, effusive. um, Mm -hmm. The type of character that prefers to spend rather than to accumulate, to give rather than to gain. And it's it's, uh, the bourgeois is closed. The Baroque is open. And so along those same lines, the bourgeois is Protestant, the Baroque is Catholic. So you have immigrants and people coming over with this Protestant mindset. You have people coming over from this Catholic mindset. And even today, he talks about how people going to like Mediterranean Catholic nations versus like going to a German influenced Protestant nation, you're going to have a vastly different experience of your time, right? He talks about how like you, the, the Protestant nations in Europe remain very like practical, unemotional, economical. But he talks about how his sister went to Athens in like Greece, mm-hmm. which is still very Catholic influence. And she, uh, she danced on tables at a restaurant and nobody ended up paying for their meal, you know? <laughs> and like, there's this thought of like, oh, you can have these hours long breaks during the day and siestas. Whereas like the Protestant countries and the Protestant influenced nations are more of the, you have an hour for lunch. You don't get any vacation time. You, you have to work, right? It's like that the Protestant work ethic is, yeah, which is so we were talking about this. We were talking about this in my morality class yesterday about the, um, the, uh, the Pelagian hypocrisy of Luther Mm -hmm. and how he was, he was incredibly workspace. Yes. Like he was an incredibly, for someone who believed in faith alone, he was incredibly workspace salvation. And like, because the, the logical conclusion, Mm -hmm. right. Is like, if there's no assurance, he looked for assurance of salvation, but there's a functional Pelagianism in Protestantism where no one's really sure that they're saved, like back in the back of their mind. Mm-hmm. And so they just do a lot of really good things to prove to themselves and other people that they're saved. Yes. It's like, 
I was talking, I was talking to, I used to like, I have a friend who was a pastor and I would talk to him about this and I would be like, well, how do you know that someone is saved? And he's like, well, if they've been, if they say they're saved, they're saved. You can't lie about mm-hmm. that. I'm like, all right, cool. Cool. How do you know that you're saved? He's like, well, what if someone sins horribly? Were they saved? He's like, well, no, if they, if they sin horribly, like if they, if they sin, like it's not mortal sin cause that doesn't exist, uh-huh. but if they sin really bad, then they were never saved to begin with. And I was like, okay, cool. But isn't it possible for you to sin? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, how, how do you know that you're not going to? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. It's like, it's at, yeah. at that point, it's like, I mean, because I'm saved. And it's like this circular logic. Uh-huh. Like, well, then what if you sin in the future? Mm-hmm. You, your pastor, the pastor before him, was embezzling from the church. I would not say that he was saved under the under that Protestant mentality, but he told everyone he was saved. Mm-hmm. And so was he lying? How does that work? And it's like, oh, buy your fruits. Buy the, you eventually just end up at the same place of like, yeah, works are important. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that's... I mean, faith without works, right? Yeah, but James doesn't count. No, it's not. A, it's the epistle of straw. Yeah. Uh, so that we have this whole idea going of like this, these different spirits that are moving through different parts of the world. And he, he has this quote from this essay called Catholicism in the Bourgeois Mind, which I might have to read at some point. It's a very interesting book. I, I love this book so much. Uh, so he's talking about the, the openness of, spirit, of, the, of the Baroque spirituality. He says, It is essentially hostile to the spirit of calculation, the spirit of worldly prudence, and above all, to the spirit of religious self-seeking and self-satisfaction. For what is the Pharisee but a spiritual bourgeois? A typically closed nature, a man who applies the principle of calculation and gain, not to economics, but to religion itself, a hoarder of merits who reckons his accounts with heaven as though God was his banker. Which I read that and I was like, like my mind was blown open. Like he just, he talks about how the Pharisees are, they, they, this is, this is how they lived, right? Is they had Mm -hmm. this spiritual bourgeois attitude of I have this enculturated religion backing me up, right? There's nothing that I could do as long as I'm as long as I'm showing everybody that I'm doing the right thing. As long as I'm going to mass on Sundays. As long as I'm involved in the Knights of Columbus. As long as I voted for JFK, right? Yeah. Then that means that I'm I'm a part of the 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 correct side, right? I'm I'm on the right mm-hmm. side of history and then nobody can tell me that I'm doing anything wrong. It's that's exactly what the Pharisees believe just about ritualistic judaic laws you know Mm. and 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 this idea of like cleanliness and all of these things and it's and i think that seeped in and like we really are still trying to get rid of it now like there's it's it's something that's held over for for a very long time Mm -hmm. i don't know well it's, it's astonishing to see i mean like it's not hmm so I think where we're going from here, when you said bourgeois Catholicism, what I was picturing yes. was not even necessarily the the stifled yet successful church. I was picturing megachurches. Okay. Bourgeois Christianity as like megachurch. Well, I mean, and where are we now, right? Every Catholic church that's smaller than 500 families has been assimilated into a larger campus. A larger parish. Somehow. Yeah. So it's like you're not that far off. Yeah. It just took a while and it's to like get there. Part of part of that is there's a need because there's no priest. Yeah, but, true. Um, well, this I mean that's a result of it's a result this mindset. Of, yeah. You know, when birth yeah. when birth rates go down, priest rates are going to go down mm-hmm. because you have Catholics who just 
accept what they what the culture is saying about birth control. Yeah, and then and then they're also contracepting and they're they're forming their souls through grave sin and they're unable mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. form their children to become priests. Right. So even the kids they have are screwed. Yes. Um, this is kind of sad. Anyway, it's, so it, does, it is sad. Uh, I mean, we have but to acknowledge. I, I talk. It. I talk to people. I talk to people sometimes on on my staff who are not in the staff leadership. Thank goodness. But like, who are like, oh, well, the Protestant church down the street. Like they're they're doing so much. They have so many people on Sunday, and they're doing all this stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. They have cool branding and a nice <laughs> website. You know, like that's fine. But like the and and so what if our youth group is smaller than theirs, all right? They have 100 kids, fine, but they're handing out Taco Bell gift cards, and that's the that's the most that a kid can get out of their youth group. We're giving them confession and the Eucharist. And it's like, I there's so much value in what we do that even if it's small, it's going to grow because that's just how God works. The Protestant mentality is not that works are not necessary obviously or that that um uh anyway the protestant mentality is that works are necessary but it doesn't take the next step the catholic mentality is is so i was i'm reading this book on i was reading this book about sin sin in the bible and it was talking about how the metaphor shifted from a burden to a debt and from like from like Babylonian exile until Jesus, there was this idea of the debt, the debt that you owe God, you like overdrew on your account. Mm -hmm. Right. And you need to pay back what you owe. That was like a, that's a metaphor that's used in the Bible for sin, but where it stops is you can never actually pay back the full amount. But what you, what God, God promises that if you do this, Mm -hmm. right, if you do this thing, Mm -hmm. I will multiply, I will, I will, I will give back on, I will make it, abundant and i will pay myself back so essentially like that's the metaphor for debt and the protestant mentality recognizes the first part that sin is a debt that we need to pay back but does not acknowledge the abundance Mm. and so when they see the idea of of, penal substitutionary atonement is that jesus takes exactly the amount of punishment that he deserves or that we deserve on himself and like there's no real there's nothing beyond that, right? There's no idea of giving yeah. us the Holy Spirit to transform our human nature and and mm-hmm. elevate us and perfect us and bring us into the heavenly host, right? Like they might believe yes. that that we go to heaven after we die, but is there any sort of acknowledgement of once I accept the fact that Jesus bore all of this punishment for me because God was just so wrathful and he had to like deliver this punishment, you know? He was be- just really pissed and he just had to like punch a pillow. Yeah, you know? like it's that there's, pillow was his son. There's no, <laughs> there's no room in that yeah. in that view, and I think a lot of people believe in that, but they don't know that they believe in mm-hmm. it. And yeah. yeah, and so when Protestant churches grow, mm-hmm. and they see their good, right? They see like how much good they're doing, how many community groups they have, right? Mm-hmm. They go, well, we're doing so good, we're doing so well, and of course, Catholics should do things that are similar, right? But they do, okay, cool, we paid the debt back. That's the problem is like we paid the debt back and we can fall into that mentality too of of once we do all these really good things, we'll pay the debt back. And the reason why God doesn't, and we, we, we see that mentality. We see them growing big and then saying we paid the debt back. It's like, cool, cool. We'll pay the debt back or we'll, we'll do all these good things too, because that'll show that we're good Mm -hmm. Catholics. Mm -hmm. We'll do that too. But God doesn't let us 
because we are God's chosen people. Yes. Ultimately, the church is Israel. Yes. And Protestants are are like Samaritans. This, like this part is of the chosen why, people. But yeah. yeah, this is why Benedict talked about how the church is going to get smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Because and he talks about that in the book a little bit. Is that we had that right? We had paid back the debt, quote unquote, in the fifties. There were eight masses on Sunday, you know, multiple daily masses, extraordinary form. I guess it wasn't the extraordinary form at the time, but like Latin liturgies, liturgy of the hours. <laughs> it was just the form. <laughs> it was just the form. Like, oh, it goes back in time to the fifties. Oh, you guys going to the extraordinary form mass? The, the what? <laughs> oh, what year is it? Um, all of these things. And so in a, in a common Catholic mindset, it might be easy to say, oh, we've, we've paid back our debt, even if they're not consciously thinking that, right? We've done all that we need to do to give God his due and that's it. And now we get good. Things. Now we get the good things, right? We get the, we get the Oscars, we get the Emmys, we get the president. And then God, because he loves us, allows it to collapse because it's a life of dissipation, right? There's no, yeah. there's no substance, right? When you have the president saying, I'm not going to allow my religion to impact my policy decisions or even his personal decisions. Apparently. And, and none of the bishops say anything about it, right? Yeah. Self-professed Catholic. He was the and golden. It continues fifty, seventy, sixty. He was later. the golden boy, right? And he was, everybody knew he was a serial philanderer. But like nobody, none of the bishops said anything. So you've got this this timidity that comes with the, that bourgeois mentality because nobody wants to lose, no bishop wants to lose his mansion, you know? Ooh, scary, right? If that hurts a little it bit. It does hurt a little bit. The, oh gosh, there's there's so much. The Empires that go up in wooden shoes come down in gold slippers. Yes. What? <laughs> Silk, silk slippers. That's the quote. There's, there's a couple. There's a, that's from hardcore history. There's one other thing. So the, then you get kind of that we've lost. You lose the salt and the light aspect. And I've been mm-hmm. thinking about this a lot lately, right? Christians are meant to be the salt of the earth, which we're bringing life its flavor. We're bringing culture its flavor. Catholicism especially, right, has a privileged place in this because we are the church that Jesus Christ himself founded. So we're supposed to be bringing uh, the heat in a lot of ways to culture. Bringing a done noise, yeah. if you will. He drew this f- comparison that I just can't get out of my mind of the Augusta Masters golf tournament. So the Augusta Masters control to a T how they are perceived when they broadcast uh, the Masters, right? They, every blade of grass is accounted for. Every flower is accounted for. They've even fired uh, CBS like announcers for uh, announcing the golf tournament incorrectly. Like they referred to the people watching as spectators instead of patrons or something like that. And they, they, Augusta was like, you can't have those people commentating the masters anymore. Because they they're so neurotic about their brand and how they want to be perceived. There's only certain kinds of ads that can be shown during the Masters. They don't allow any other ads for other kinds of programming. It's only about the sponsors and the golf, and that's it. Mm-hmm. He contrasts this with Notre Dame, the probably fa- most famous Catholic school in the country, yeah. uh, without a doubt, Rudy. You know, but he says that's the problem. Is that's the first thing that we think of is Rudy touchdown Jesus football 
all that stuff. And not our lady. And not, yeah, Mary. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. <laughs> there, and he said, Notre Dame has the same kind of weight as the Augusta golf course. They could say to NBC, hey, we're going to say a Hail Mary before each of our games, and you're going to broadcast it if you want to broadcast our games. Right? Because they have that weight. Yeah. They have that power. But they, they don't. You watch those games, there's no way to tell that they're that they're a Catholic school, that they're a Catholic. The only institution. Hail Mary in football is the one at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. There you go. Well done. Yeah. So I only know that because the Heinz History Museum, uh-huh. maybe. So the, he draws this that's kind of the probably the, the last thing that we'll talk about from the book, at least super intentionally, is that the we're we got so comfortable, we got so timid, we got so used to the fact that we had a cultural status amongst other people, especially the bishops. And he really points the finger unashamedly and says the yoke of the institutional church falls on the bishop's shoulders, right? It is not on your shoulders and my shoulders, Patrick, to like fix the institutional church and fix all of these problems, right? That's, we're not bishops and thank God that we're not because that's a, that's a lot of responsibility, you know? So that's why we need to pray for them most of all. So there really was a huge breakdown in the institutional church, in the 1950s and the 1960s that we're still suffering from. And there's lots of things that have happened, right? The, the abuse scandal, money scandals, people leaving the priesthood, all sorts of things, right, that have happened because of all of these things. And now we're in this place where we can't even assert our Catholicity. We can't even assert our Catholicism without being afraid that that's going to set us apart when in reality that's what we're actually invited to do. What are you looking at? What are you checking out? Looking at the book of Revelation. Okay. Because that's always a good thing to talk about when you're talking about the church. Um, so in the book of Revelation, it starts off, it's actually a letter. It's It starts off with a letter to seven churches, and it talks about this, the seven lampstands of these churches. And part of the... Something that I, I, I this is something that I've been thinking about in the past. I, the reason I, I was so quick to open this up is because it was part of my reading for my Bible class. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about the seven churches as like the different types of church. So Dr. Bergsma talks about, um, for instance, Laod- Laodicea or Laodicea, I don't know how to pronounce it, as the as the lukewarm church. That's the famous one where he's like, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, mm-hmm. right? Um Smyrna is the persecuted church. Uh, Pergamum is the self-indulgent church. And so I was looking through this list. Ephesus is the loveless church. So it's like, that's the church. Ephesus was the church that was like very orthodox, but they were very loveless. And so Dr. Bergman was like, this honestly, diocese and churches in around the world should be reading these seven churches. Me like, are we any of these churches? And, um, the message of the church to Sardis, the, the biggest the biggest thing is that John says to these churches, Christ says through John to these churches, if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand. Matthew 18 says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church, the universal church, Christ makes no such promise yeah. to the local church. God says, oh, I'll, I'll end you. No, no question about it. I'll I'll TKO just like straight up 360 no and, and you know what yet yeah, look at some of these churches and the lampstand's gone mm-hmm. some of these churches did not repent and they are ruled now by different powers I'm pretty sure that there are they have, there hasn't been a public mass celebrated in Ephesus in thousands of years 
So what does orthodoxy without love give you, Church Militant? What does it give you? It gives you it gives you the Muslim rule you're already so afraid of. Um, not because of doctrinal reasons, but because of anyway. So here, you who have ears, let him hear. Uh, so the message to Sardis says that um, awaken, strengthen what remains. This is chapter three, verse two. Awaken and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. So like, there's a little bit of hope there because he says, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Um, He who conquers shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. So if we are in the church of America, we who will remain faithful to Christ will be okay, but we have to strengthen what remains and is not dead because there are things that are dead and we can't get back and we should mourn that, but then strengthen what remains. We should mourn it. So what remains? We should mourn it and also not try to get it back. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we are not going to be, there's Bishop Barron is not going to have a prime time Emmy award winning television show. He's just not word on fire is not going to change the cultural landscape of American uh, ideology. I just, I don't believe that it is. I think they do good work. Let's be clear. I think they, they say a lot of things that need to be said and they interact with people that, that, that otherwise might not be able to hear the gospel yes. or hear intellectual arguments for the faith. I don't think that those things, Bishop Barron, Father Mike Schmitz, all these things, I don't think we should stop them. But I also think that we need to be honest with ourselves about what we can accomplish. We're not going to be Fulton Sheen ever again. In America, mm-hmm. we're not going to have Bing Crosby. Tom Cruise is not going to play a, a, a good Catholic priest in a movie anytime soon. And yeah. it's going to be theologically enriching. And, and everyone's going to be like, wow, amazing. Finally, we can well, a film we can support, you know, like we're always looking you for know? that sort of thing. There's not going to be. Finally, God's not dead. Seven <laughs> starring Tom Cruise's dog. Um, the it's. Starring DJ Tanner's older brother. <laughs> Kirk Cameron. There you no? go. Yeah. James Cameron directing. Uh, we're, we're not going to get back to that place of cultural relevance. And I don't think that we should be super upset about it. Right. We had it mm-hmm. and it was it was the worst thing <laughs> long term. Right. It was not good. It was not good for us. Not good for us. Right. Just look at the numbers. Look at the people. It was kind of what it was kind of what the Davidic kingdom ended up being yes, for the Israelites. Right. And then what happened after that? The exile. <laughs> I wrote about this on my blog. Yeah. I wrote it was called it's I wrote a blog post called The Catholic Diaspora. It was an okay article, check it out. Um it talks about how we look back on the glory days and like so did the Israelites in the exile. Yeah. But they looked back fondly on the exact thing that caused their decline. It's like there was rot there. Mm-hmm. People were sinning. The flesh pots. Yes. Flesh pots. It's a gross image. I know. I don't even like it. Uh, I don't like it. Yeah. Sounds pagan. So it's well. That's yeah. There, there was there was evil back there, mm-hmm. and that's why we needed to change things. So like the people that are like, oh, back in the the fifties when mm-hmm. men went to work and loved Jesus and women stayed home and loved Jesus. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, this is kind of. Yeah. I feel like that's an oversimplification. And that's the story <laughs> of the Jewish people from the beginning, right? Because even in the first chapters of Genesis, you have people looking back turning to pillars yeah. of salt, right? You have, you've got people looking back at Egypt 
dying in the desert, right? Spending 40 years, mm-hmm. they don't get to enter into the promised land. You've got after after the after the Davidic uh, kingdom split up and was was sent into exile. You've got people looking back and saying, "Like, oh man, remember when we were in charge, large and in charge?" And then the Jews in the time of Jesus, who are looking back at still at that time of David and Solomon, and saying, "You know, we we can reclaim this. You know, we just need to get out yeah. from under the under the heel of the Romans, and then we'll be great." Which is why they tried to elevate Jesus to being a king. Like that's what they wanted is because they were looking back and not forward. And that's why they freed Barabbas. Yes. Oh, it's just horrendous. And that's, we can fall into that mindset so easily, which is why I think the Pharisee comparison for... The comparison, if you will. Ah, for the bourgeois Catholicism of the late 20th century is really pertinent and something we really need to think about. Yes. And there's there's this kind of this last point that he makes of that the, the response... I think is is twofold, right? We need to recognize that there there's a certain status quo that exists. But we also have to recognize that like now is a is a well there's always a time in history for the gospel, right? The the time is always right to preach the name of Jesus. There's never a wrong time to do it. You know? Yes. Always is a is a phenomenal and amazing moment for the gospel to be made known. But now if we're looking, if we're just looking, we're reading the signs of the times and we're looking around at what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. People are searching for truth right now, yeah. right? People are getting frustrated with the lies that they've been fed by post-modernity. Even what we talked about last week, right? That whole social dilemma documentary. It's not perfect by any means, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that everybody's all of a sudden woke about social media, <laughs> But it does mean that people are starting to get fed up, right? The things about yeah. politics, the things about these elections, the things about uh, uh, institutional policing, the things about uh, big corporate uh, businesses that are controlling multiple aspects of your life. And it's like people are starting to recognize like, oh, maybe this isn't actually everything that I thought it was going to be. Maybe this isn't everything that I was promised, you know? And so people know that something's not right and we can we can embrace the moment right and we can like use everything that we know about the gospel we can take advantage of our individual holiness we can we can evangelize to the people around us and there's also this call that he makes in the book about reclaiming the mysterious and weird and incarnate aspects of the catholic faith and like bringing that back into the world view that does not mean that every mass has to be in latin now that does not mean yeah. that uh, uh, we have to start, women have to start wearing skirts down to their ankles and men can only wear trousers and fedoras, right? That's not, that's not what we're <laughs> trying to say, but there are aspects of the faith that we have to reclaim and we have to say, no, this is going to be a part of my life, right? He goes on in the rest of the book, he talks about making the family a place of prayer, making the parish a place that's not just another social organization he goes off on galas fish fries yes fish he goes off on fish fries and galas and says if you've ever been to a fundraising gala for the church it looks no different than a political fundraising gala it looks no different 
than a uh, Salvation Army or any other like nonprofit fundraising gala. People are wearing really nice clothes, really expensive clothes. They're eating really fancy food. They're getting full. They're drinking a lot of alcohol, and money is just flying around. Like, can yeah. you imagine having a church fundraiser for the diocese, for the seminarians, whoever, where everybody showed up and everybody was fed simple, simple food, it's like toast, beans, maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of salad, and that's what they ate. No dessert, no alcohol, right? People would riot. They'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous!" But like, that's they'd be they they would say stuff like, "I give you my hard earned money, and I don't get anything in return." It's like, yeah. yeah. That's the whole point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's so the whole we, point is you should give without expecting yes. without. So I'm just. You should. Yeah. You and I kind of have a part in this in that we're, we directly work for the church. Other people who listen to this who don't work for the church also have a role in this. If we have to reclaim um, liturgical prayer as in like liturgy of the hours should be like a public thing. He goes He talks about this in the book. Regular mass attendance throughout the week daily should be a regular thing we need to change our lives and change our schedules and invite other people into it because if we don't start doing that individually and inviting other people in and creating families that do this and creating neighborhoods and communities that do this if we just keep the faith between our other friends that we know are catholic and we all kind of have this thing then we're just feeding into the bourgeois catholicism if all my catholicism is is i post on instagram right whatever whatever graphic that comes up i make sure everybody knows oh hey it's the feast day of this thing you know on instagram like that that is bourgeois to the extreme and i'm just like tired of that i'm tired of the instagram faith i'm tired of the facebook faith and the twitter faith that people just post these things are like, oh, I'm a, I'm a focused missionary. Look at me. I'm a life team missionary. Look at me. Nobody cares. That's not impacting anybody's life at all, you know? Yeah. And I just, I think we, we get so stuck in that and we think that we're actually doing something. We're actually changing people's lives, but we're not inviting anybody to anything mysterious. We're not inviting anybody into anything that's bigger than themselves. All we're doing is acquiescing our faith and our culture, the Catholic culture to the American culture and saying, I'm going to take these things and make them Catholic, which does not yeah. work ever. I, okay. Can I go off a little Please. bit, a little pet peeve of mine? Franciscan? Okay. So <sighs> Chacos, every gosh darn summer missionary that I've summer, summer missionary that I met always bought Chacos. And then fundraised their salary. And I'm like, you understand that those are $150 sandals. And then you're begging people for money. Yeah. I don't understand. There's a... there's a App, it's, Apple watches. Yeah. Are people... The number of missionaries people, I see with Apple watches drives me up a freaking wall. I, Yeah, it's true. You can get them refurbished. And we should assume... You can also get them one, as a gift. But also, if you get those things as a gift... You can sell them, yeah, and give the money away. Yeah, I just is being a are some focus missionaries and life teen missionaries there for the aesthetic? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it's part of the it's part of the issue. I think people become youth ministers for the aesthetic. I it's think we've created a brand for the church. Yes, and I think that's because we thought we were supposed to do that, mm-hmm. and we are not. <laughs> I I just it's a little it's a little frustrating. Yeah. 
I am not saying that I have never done this before. I started a freaking Catholic Twitter account. Obviously, that was for the aesthetic. It's an issue, and it's it's pervasive. I don't like it. Yeah, and I think unless we call a spade a spade, these things are just yeah. going to keep continuing. And and I and it's yeah. not it's not as a Catholic issue. No. I will say that it's the co-opting poverty as something that's trendy is something that happens in America. Um, you know, tiny homes. Yeah, they're just mobile homes. Van living. Yeah, if you had if you had a bunch of tiny homes together, you could call it a trailer park, and it wouldn't be wrong. But that one is trashy. The other one's like hip and millennial. Mm-hmm. You know, um, flannels are historically something like a garb of the working class. They're just they're just hip. You know, they're in um, sandals. Literally, ch- the cheapest kind of footwear, bare minimum. They're. 150 i have friends who went hiking in chacos i'm like you know those aren't functional shoes right they're purely they're purely a fashion statement um i'm sorry i'm good chacos are not you the really point. yeah I you just, really don't like i really chacos. don't like them that's fine i really don't like them i have a pair of chacos but somebody gave them to me maybe i should sell them i mean but, they're not selling footwear is harder than selling an apple that's watch true. that's true they are a size too big so it hurts me when i wear them so it's kind of like a penance oh. You don't have that, yeah, yeah. You don't have that little weird like toe belt thing no, they have. No, it's I, like, yeah. I, I bent that down because I just it's just too much for me. I only wear them when I go to the beach, anyway. So, one way or the yeah. other, I this this whole rant and all of these things. This book is great, and there's lots of things that he talks about of how like what we can do at the parish level, at the institutional church level. He goes off on the USCCB in the book, which is really funny. He's like, I don't know what the point is. The left think that it's an arm of the Republican Party. The right thinks it's an arm of the Democratic Party. Just annoying everybody doesn't mean that you're doing the right thing as an organization. I was like, yes, that's that's phenomenal. Um, Brandon, can we be friends? Yeah. That's the best take on the USCCB. That's the, the only take that anyone needs. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that we're perfect, right? We... There's lots of things to talk about the family, the parish, the church, friendships, right? All of these things need to be renewed and they need to take, we need individual attention to all of them. And we need to bring a true Catholic spirituality to all of them. The last thing I'll say on, on your point, I hate, I hate, 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 hate taking business strategies and applying them to church in evangelization yes. as if it's just a one-to-one slotted in slotted out this is all that we need the, your youth ministry not you but people who are youth ministers your youth ministry is not you're not going to benefit from gary vaynerchuk's advice this is yeah this is not all about work this is not all about invest investing correctly this is not all about uh all these atomic habits, right? These are not like the, the things that are going to, to take your business to the next level, except instead of saying business, I'm going to say ministry because I am a Catholic and I am doing the right yes. thing. It's, I'll just go ahead and say it's satanic to take these business things and apply them to the church because we're reducing the power of Jesus Christ. We're saying, actually, I can control things in a way better than you, God. I can control this it is in a way good, better than It you. is good to take these business books and apply them to you because it's good human formation. Yes, there is a difference. I want to qualify that. I think that's the, the classic Luke Carey conundrum mm-hmm. is he constantly goes, it's, I, 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 I feel it. I've been thinking about it recently. And we've all, we've now gone the gambit and, and name dropped everybody in the world, yes. so we might as well name drop Catching Fox sure. as well. 
um he talks about like i don't like smart goals or like any of that that future planning nonsense it's like I, I get that i think there's something good there obviously because people have built good successful businesses on these principles mm-hmm. but i think it's more because it's about disciplining yourself and grace builds on nature yes. but you can't apply it to the church right. we can't just say we like, can't just get a pr yeah. manager for your for yeah. the diocese or for your apostolate or for any individual parish and say oh man if we just manage the brand image of the church we're going to figure out if we just put the fundraiser on the on the on the right day so that people it's not too close to the holiday season not too close to the to the beginning of the school year so that we can maximize the amount of yeah. money that we're getting it's like we're we're just taking all these things we're stripping away any potential to depend on Jesus Christ so that a great example of yeah. this is in how to lead when you're not in charge um the author talks about how their church solved the problem of low church attendance on Memorial Day by by canceling their Memorial Weekend service. <laughs> that's one way to do I, it. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's one way to do it. You could really solve church attend solve the church attendance problem by not, not having church. Having church. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's we can we can definitely tend to think like that. I think someone who does a really great job of applying honest business principles to the church is Patrick Lanchoni. Sure, because he says like here are the he talks about good businesses have good values. But the Catholic Church has values already imbued in it. You can't choose them. Right. And I think that's the problem is that we choose, we, we take the business principles and we apply them incorrectly. Or we take outdated business principles mm-hmm. and try to apply mm-hmm. them. Like um, churches think they need rigid uh, organizational structure. So they over-organize their organization the wrong way. Or they, they think they're supposed to have staff meetings. So they have a, a long ad hoc staff meeting every Tuesday that... Sorry, that was... Uh-huh. You all right? <laughs> you need to take a minute? <laughs> it's I don't go to that meeting, uh-huh. so I don't need to worry yeah. about it. But <laughs> I was trying to keep it abstract. Sure. Listen, my parish is great, and we're doing good things, and but sometimes meetings are meetings, mm-hmm. you know, but they could be better. Yes. So, like, we can take business principles and apply them to church things, mm-hmm. but not the church. Yes. So I see what you're yes. Saying. And it's all about looking at it as... Oh, if we just did this, then we'll we'll increase our numbers. If we just did this, we'll increase our donations. If we just did this, and it's 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 taking on the American culture, the American corporate culture, and saying we're just we're just another five hundred one three C among many, and there's nothing special about us. We're a charitable trust, we're, so that's different. whatever. <laughs> there's there is something different about the Catholic Church. Something different than God. I hope yes, so. Yes, something different than all of the spent five, six freaking years studying it. So I something different than all the Protestant churches. Something different yeah. than all of the the soup kitchens out there that are just soup kitchens. The Catholic Church is the safeguard of truth and the chan- the channel of grace that Christ instituted when he was here, right before he ascended into heaven, right. He, yeah. he left us a way to know the truth, to know him definitively without question, and he left us a way to be in relationship with him definitively and without question. And when we lose sight of that and we're like, how can we make sure that we are culturally relevant? How can we make sure that we're, our social media game is popping off? How can we make sure that we're, we're doing this, that, and the other thing? It's like we're losing sight of why we're here. We're losing sight of what we're doing. Those things don't matter at all. I just, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Frustrated. We are not a soup kitchen. We're not. We're bigger. Yes. Should we have soup kitchens? Yes. Yes. But that's not all we are. If we just reduce the church to just this or just that or just the other thing. 
Just soup. Just soup. Church soup. You want some Dr. Ethan's dating court? Yeah. Make this an extra long episode. I'm sorry for yelling. No, it's good. We did. We did. We talked about a whole topic for an hour, yeah. which is a long time. So let's let's hop in for to Doctor Ethan's dating corner real quick. quick, because we got some good uh, we got some good submissions. Just one. Someone, someone. Uh, just what? One. Just, just one. one. We need to save. Like, we need to save what we have. People are sending them. They're in. not. They're, they're, they're not. coming they're in, not. in in they're space. Not. They're they're not. Not. are. Will Will Bonder sent us in one from Reddit, so I'll save that one because we could just find it on our own. Um, okay. In that case, I'll do this one because this one seems interesting. All right. Hello, Dr. Ethan, his esteemed medical assistant, Pat. That's, Feel free to use my name on the podcast. What's a podcast? I don't know. That seems like two it things. It sounds like he's trying to say pod. Yeah, but then he like, keeps sneezing like pod. <laughs> <laughs> also, what did he call you? My, his, Your esteemed medical what assistant. What was the third word there? Esteemed. No, no, no. Assistant. There it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> esteemed. <laughs> Sorry, that was the third from the yeah. end. That was the first right. word. Uh, I am a 22-year-old elementary teacher, so you can imagine just how many young men I run into on a daily basis. I think this is a woman. Young um, men is in students? Five-year-olds? Yes, answer, none older than the age of eight. Yeah. I uh, joined Catholic Match begrudgingly earlier this year and didn't have too much luck. However, I met someone on there. Oh, my gosh. I met someone on there the last month or so. Let's call him Melchizedek. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's 24 mm. and very, very kind, mm. a faithful Catholic man, etc. He does have long hair, which is not my thing, but I'm allowing it. However, I have noticed a few red flags besides the hair, obviously. Yeah. We have not met yet okay. because of distance, eight plus hours. Mel is planning to come out to meet me in October. However, the conversation has been getting increasingly intimate. What started as kind of a joke, calling each other pet names, has now become a legit thing. Baby, sugar, babe, darling, etc. Uh, <laughs> Mel has also said some things that have some, how do you say, sexual uh, undertones. Here are four examples. No. Four, four. Four. Here are, okay, here are 16 uh, red flags that I came up with just today. <laughs> uh six i've heard of four flags but never mind uh when we meet okay this is example number one when we meet in person it'll probably be hard to keep our hands to ourselves kissy emoji when talking about pet names i thought we were still joking around but then he said i don't want to say say it it. i can think of some naughty and dirty ones but i'll save those for later no 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 this one happened yesterday. We were talking about naps. Okay, next one. No, say, um, it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. <laughs> you know what he's going to say. I want... Oh, uh, baby, you taking a nap without me? Ha, 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 ha. TikTok. Um, <laughs> this one happened yesterday. We were talking. He said, uh, he, we were talking about naps, and I said I was surprised he hadn't taken one that day, and he said, me too, want to take <sighs> one. And, uh, oh, she said four examples. That's only three. There's, it's God, the content okay. of four examples. It's, it's there's, there's that, enough in that, there. All that cringe. Um, these are all very much exceptions to the way he usually. No, talks. they're not. Okay, <laughs> no, they're, they're it's not. But here's the thing: it's not an exception to the way he thinks. Yes. Okay. You're just, that's he's, the main He's letting the here. walls come down. Finish her. Finish what she says. Um, none of these things mm-hmm. have been when we're speaking face to face, just through mm-hmm. text. Oh, he's also a little wimp. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's getting a master's in theology I... and is so fantastic. No, 
Just these few comments have made me feel icky. Melkies. All of these times I've tried to play it off as a joke, making comments about boundaries and being cheeky. Um, but I'm wondering if by not telling him straight up these are making me uncomfortable, especially considering we haven't met, this is somewhat my fault. Don't victim blame no, yourself. You're, you're fine. fine. I don't want us to meet in person and have big issues because chastity is important to me. Are these such big issues I need to break off this thing? Do I address it? Please help, as he will be coming out to see me not too long from now. Oh gosh, I hope we're I hope we're we're good. Thank you, God bless. I've been a fan of the pod forever. Okay, that she, she pronounced she said, it right that she time. She pod right that time, not last time. Yeah. Uh, what do you C- think, Doctor Ethan? O M M U N C I A T E. What does that spell? Communicate. Did you type out the word communicate before you? No, I did that? it in my mind. Nah, you're joking. Uh, no, I did. No, it's <laughs> hands up. <laughs> <laughs> Hands up doesn't keep you from having <laughs> typed it earlier. <laughs> My hands are here now, which means they weren't there before. Before. Which is what Melchizedek will probably say if he comes in person and gets, gets oh. his way. This, I got to tell you, this guy, it's so telling that he only says these things over text. And it's so oh, yeah. telling that he seems perfect in every other way. These are his real, genuine thoughts. These yes. are not... Uh, uh, exceptions yes if they make you uncomfortable uncomfortable enough to write into a comedy podcast that's also sometimes <laughs> about the church <laughs> Whatever. that's our that's our itunes category comedy podcasts that are sometimes about the, about the church we're number one if this if that makes you question enough to write into our show then there's probably something that you need to talk to him about and you have to address it head on. You have to take those examples and say, hey, you've said these things. This is not just like... These, these three and there was there's probably, probably another, another one. one. This is not just one instance of him like saying something that was maybe imprudent and him apologizing for it. Because that's that's fine, right? We're Guys are wounded. They have weird ideas about relationships. I In my life, I've said weird things and I've had to go back and apologize and be like, yeah, that was coming out of a different place than where it should have been coming out of, you know? Yeah. And that's that's a totally different story. But if he's saying the, these things, full bore, no apologies, just like kind of raring to go, I think you're in perfectly within your rights to say, hey, Melchizedek, you've said this and this and this, and they've made me feel this way. And yeah. give him a chance to explain himself, but also be very firm and say, this is not the kind of relationship I want to have. And this, if this is how you're going to act when we're together, I would rather you not come and visit me and, and just let it just lay down the hammer because this guy's been indulged in his double life Catholicism for too long. Like somebody, there've been lots of women up to this point who have just kind of tolerated it. And like somebody has to tell him and men too, somebody has to tell him this is not okay. You might have to be that person and it might mean the relationship ends, but it's better for both of you. Really? It's, get down. gosh, that sucks. Ugh. I just, I'm trying. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want Doctor Ethan's dating corner to become a man bashing session. Obviously, no. of like, oh, guys suck. But uh, this kind of sucks. This does suck. This is not fun. This sucks a lot. Um, yeah, he's definitely like, based on the. I'm assuming you have the receipts because again, he's never said this in person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference between flirting and like soliciting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, There's a difference seems between like flirting he's... and saying things for your own benefit. Yes. yes. It's like, 
he's saying these things because he enjoys yes. it. Do you know what yes. I mean? Len, that's a problem. Yes. He shouldn't be he shouldn't be doing this. And he should also know better if he's studying theology at the Also if he's level. 24 and 24. Yeah. It's, <sighs> Sorry. It's double yeah. Not a lot of comedy it's, there, but this is like a really weird thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what we in the business call porn brain. Mm. Just to call it what it mm-hmm. is, it's this idea that like normal everyday react everyday interactions are sexualized. Mm-hmm. Like when we meet in person, it'll be like that's his that's not that there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff yeah. there. He's and saying that not necessarily yeah. his fault. Yeah. And so giving him an opportunity to like repent and challenge him in that and say mm-hmm. you have to be better. You know, you need to be Romans twelve two, transformed by the renewal of your mind before before you can date me, because I'm an elementary school teacher and I don't take none of that stuff. Yeah. That's I mean that that's really good for him. It's really good for you to assert yourself in that way because you're a lady. Yeah, it's and it's also not your fault. No, like don't blame yourself. If you're like, you know what, I don't want to be the person that has to teach him what's right, that is also yes. your prerogative. You can just break it off. That's totally fine. You can say, Hey, uh, you said some things that made me uncomfortable. Um, this is what it is, and I just don't want to like. Hear and you it. don't have to give him a chance to to do anything. You can just yeah. You don't have yeah. You can just block his number. You're also allowed to ignore it. That's not a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Do you yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe yeah, like a yeah, fun anyway. one. That fun yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't read this Great. one. Great. It always goes one. out so, goes well when you don't read them beforehand. Yeah. Hello, Dr. Ethan and Professor Pat. I am a first-year focus missionary Pat. With, a, with two pairs of Chacos and an Apple Watch. <laughs> and <laughs> naturally, I'm on a dating fast. However, I have a feeling that some of the men at the Newman Center do not know that. Uh, they have been very flirty. One even asked me out. Okay, yeah, so he obviously doesn't know. Uh, or maybe he does. My team and my team director agree that I haven't been flirting with them. And it's not like I hang out with any men outside of Newman. I do know that a strong women's ministry can help the men's ministry and I'm not trying to model male friendships to my students, but how do I do that while making it clear I'm not interested in dating any of them? Also, I don't want to go around telling these men I'm on a dating fast. I made sure not to mention it because I don't want them to hold on hope or ask me out when the dating fast is over. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good, that that's good. So instincts. this is, so I have three first years on my team. I'm glad that you're asking yeah. this question because if if any student, especially a guy, if a guy student asked out any of my girl teammates, I'd be like, go. See what happens. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just because let, imagine this scenario, right? The team Dr. Ted Shree shows up at your house the next day. What did you do? Explain <laughs> yourself. Curtis Martin goes Curtis Martin goes, You are you are you are decidedly not on fire. Yeah. I would I would get the whole team in on it, right? <laughs> it, this works great if the student that asks you out is like friends with the team. If if yeah. he's not, then this is like bad because. Are you suggesting they all show up standing at the table like the delightful children from down the lane? Hello, Nigel. Um, <laughs> no, I think it'd be great if it's like you go to this restaurant. He sits down. He's nervous because he knows. It also be funny. This is the f- ideal funny scenario for me. You s- <laughs> you say yes. He sets the time. He picks you up. You mentioned in the car that you're on a dating fast. 
So that way, he is now confused, and you're on the way to dinner. You sit down. The three missionaries are already there. You pull up a table. Then the five of you are there sitting, and this guy is just has his head blown off. He has no clue what's going on. And then you pay for his dinner. That would, in my mind, is the best way to handle that situation. Or you could just say, hey, I'm not dating anybody right now. <laughs> I oh think my that'd, be gosh. So, that'd be so funny. Depending on, I mean, obviously. How would you feel if someone did that to you, though? I, I'd be like, you know, that's fair. That's pretty no, funny. don't do that. Don't do that. That'd be mean. But as a team director, just like imagining one of my like little 18-year-old freshmen asking out one of my 23-year-old teammates it's just funny like it's just it's hilarious go see what yeah, happens go. just do it <laughs> it sounded like you were saying oh if you want to do it you no, can not if you want to do not if you want to i'm gonna get no, you no, no, no. not if you want to do it not like oh i dare you but like i mean who knows who knows <laughs> you're on a dating fast it's okay to let people know that you're on a dating fast and and also say it, hey i don't plan on dating my students after my dating fast is over like i that would that's a weird breach of conduct yeah yeah, I I would I you would say that your your instinct excuse. Yeah, I would just say out. I actually wouldn't use the professionalism excuse because that can also engender like oh if it wasn't for, if I wasn't oh, yeah, your student, yeah, yeah. you know it's like that's the thing you can't set up any barrier except for I don't. Here's want the thing, to. Rick. You're just so hot. It's just that I I can't date hot guys. You know, and that's that's the. Problem. <laughs> if only you weren't only hot, you were ugly. Then he's gonna get hit by a truck on purpose. If <laughs> not, the people who've been hit by trucks aren't I just hot. Can't, I can't date guys with all four <laughs> limbs. Sucks. Sorry. Too bad. Sorry. Please, please. Where are you going? Stop walking towards the train tracks. Come back. <laughs> anyway, uh, nah, you'll be all right. Uh, every every fine. first year girl has to go through this in some, in one way or another. I would just say, let your team know about it, and then let the guy know like hey i don't i'm not dating anybody right now it's okay to talk about the dating fast and it's okay to say i don't plan on dating you or anyone after my dating fast is over and guys just need to be rejected by women five years older than them that's kind of it's just that i went through it patrick went through it and i did not but did you huh yeah what did you let's do a different topic of the for the rest of the podcast (laughs) uh well that's i mean that's that's all we got so the different topic is just us going back to life. Did I yell too much on this episode? You did. Did I not. critique the institutional church? And by that, I mean Bishop yes. Barron too much. Okay. No. <laughs> bishop Barron is the best American bishop. Bishop Umbers is the best bishop. Is Bishop Barron the best American bishop? Yes. Hot take. I like him. I like him the best. <laughs> He's the one with... Move over, Archbishop... Um, Come on, you got it. I don't know any other bishops. He's the one with the best YouTube videos. The one with the best YouTube comments. Can you imagine if another like Bishop Olmstead just came out of left field and just was smashing like a million subscribers in like a week? (laughs) Bishop, he's like he's like he's he's like doing collabs with Jake Paul. He's like he's like Mr. Beast is like I bought a one million dollar Bishop's mansion and look what happened. (laughs) That'd be so funny. Oh man, he's like skydiving with I don't know. I don't know any other YouTubers. He's doing commentary videos with Cody Co. That's the go. other place. Pretty it's good. Just, yeah, pretty good YouTube reference. Lore. Yeah. Lore. So, 
yeah, I think I think that I think that Bishop Barron is out of all the American bishops, he's the he's the one that I feel like you could any anybody could sit down and have a conversation with, and he would be willing to talk oh, to yeah. you for an extended period of time. I think that he would miss a meeting to talk to an atheist just because he walked into his office. I think that's what Bishop Barron. And is. I appreciate that. Now we need more bishop. We need more bishops with that. We need, quality. That's that's a Baroque bishop, right? Not being on time to things is a part of the the spirit that he was talking about. Baroque, not broke. Hey. And a little broke. Uh, you know, that's yeah. pretty good. Patrick, do you have anything else for the people? Catholicism. It's bigger than soup. Thank you all for listening. Please pray for us. We will be praying for you, and we will see you all next week.